So hey, thanks for joining us today, whether you're joining us online or whether you're here in person as we uh, wrap up our teaching series called Runaway, where for the past couple of weeks, Mike Russell has done a great job of helping us really look into, dig into the life of Jonah. But in case you missed any of those teachings, you can find them at fortchristian.org forward slash latest messages. But in quick summary, Jonah was a prophet called by God. And he was called to take a message of judgment to a city of Nineveh. Now, Jonah was a Jew. He was part of God's chosen people that we read about in the Old Testament. And Nineveh was part of a pagan, non-Jewish, Gentile nation, right? And it was a nation of Assyria, and Assyria was one of Israel's sworn enemies, and in summary of the book so far, Jonah went west when God said, Jonah, go east. And so Jonah ran away from God and in the midst of a life-threatening storm was tossed off the ship, swallowed by a great fish, and within the belly of that fish, Jonah repented. And after living in there for three days, got spit out on shore. He went back to Nineveh as was first commanded by God. He proclaimed the message of God's judgment against the city. And lo and behold, they repented. Now throughout the teaching, we've been reminded in the account of Jonah that it is not so much a picture of Jonah running from God as this is a picture of God chasing after us. It's about God pursuing us. Pursuing Jonah is a picture of pursuing us. It's a reminder to each of us that we can run from God, but we can't outrun God. And today, as we wrap up the teaching, we're going to be reminded that God loves people. Now, that seems like such a simplistic message, but it's one that we need to hear over and over again. You see, in the account of Jonah, we are reminded that God loves people even when we don't want to. And God loves people in spite of their past. And God loves people who simply don't deserve it. And if we're to follow the example of God, we need to move past our prejudices and we need to move past our perceived perfections. We need to move past our misdirected passions. We even need to move past our plants like plant, like green foliage, not like plan, uh, you know, the plans that we've made. We need to move past our plants in order to love those whom God loves. And if you're curious, well, what's that all about? Stick with me. You'll figure that out as we get closer toward the end of the passage. He said, but I find it interesting, though, as I think about Jonah and I read about the message of Jonah, his message was not one of hope. It wasn't a message of compassion or mercy. It wasn't a message about salvation. It wasn't about getting the people of Nineveh to, to become Jews, right? It wasn't about them trying to, trying to get them to even follow after Jonah's God. That wasn't the message. The message was one of those turn or burn kind of messages. Judgment is coming. Your end is near. Yet in spite of Jonah's reluctance to deliver it, and in spite of the doom and gloom that the message carried with it, it was evident that God was using throughout the book of Jonah an imperfect person to deliver a message to imperfect people that led them to a very perfect God. 
And just as God is always acting and moving and behind the scenes and in the innermost parts of our beings, he's preparing our hearts, he's preparing our minds for those things that he's doing or wants to do in our lives, so too he had been in the process of moving in the minds and the hearts and the lives of the Ninevites. As they received God's word, it resulted in the entire city of Nineveh grieving for their sin repenting or doing a 180 in their thoughts and in their actions. And we're reminded in the book of Jonah that instead of God bringing his promised destruction down on the Ninevites, he brought his salvation down to them. The account of the life of Jonah serves to remind us that we serve a God who is both righteous and just, yet he willingly and generously chooses to bring his salvation down to us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. While speaking at a camp this past summer, a little girl approached me after one of the messages earlier on in the week. I'd spoken that evening and she came up and she just had tears just streaming down her face. Now, I have no idea what spoke or moved that little eight-year-old girl that night as I, as I spoke but God had been preparing her heart and he had used the words of an imperfect preacher who was speaking about a perfect God and little Trinity was ready for a brand new life. Now I've welcomed a lot of people into the family of God. I, I've, I've walked with them as they've surrendered their life to Jesus. I've prayed with them as they've cried out to the Lord. I've stood beside them as they've declared their faith publicly. I've gone on the waters of baptism with, with people, baptizing many but I have never, in all of my years doing ministry, in all of my years being a Christian, I do not ever recall anybody coming to Jesus who was as broken and grieved over their sin and who recognized how desperately separated from God they were because of their sin than this little eight-year-old girl named Trinity. And that night we talked and we prayed and we cried and I talked to her mom and her mom cried and later that week in the town pool, I was able to baptize her as she declared her faith in Jesus Christ and her new life that she had found in him. You know, just as the hearts of the people of Nineveh and just as the heart of this little girl named Trinity, just as they were broken over their sin, just as so many of us have been broken over our sin, our hearts should continue to be broken over our sin. And I wonder, how long has it been since you have grieved the sin in your life? How long has it been since you have shed tears for the sin that remains? Let me say this again. We serve a God who is both righteous and just, yet he willingly and generously chooses to bring his salvation down to us. In a conversation that he had with Nicodemus, a devout religious leader, Jesus had these words to say. Perhaps you're familiar with them. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you're coming to be one of us, to come um, and show us true love. Wasn't a, a, a visit of judgment, 
It was a visit of salvation. That you didn't come to pour judgment down upon us, that you came to bring your love and your salvation to us. It's helped, help us to remember that, that that's what your pur- purpose was. That was what your plan was. That you came that we would be saved. That you loved the world so much that you came and gave yourself for us. Help us to remember that as we continue to read through the, this chapter, this last chapter of the book of Jonah. And as we leave from here today, applying those things to our lives. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the last chapter, the last verse of, of chapter 3, which we read last week, reads like this. It says, when God saw what they had done, talking about the Ninevites, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. He did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Friends, if we close the book of Jonah right then and there, right? If we close it at the end of chapter 3, it would be an occasion for celebration, wouldn't it? Right? The crowds would go crazy. There would be loud cheers, much rejoicing, you know, high fives all around. If this was a game, we'd have looked at it like, oh, man, that game was fought hard. It got off to a slow start, right? You know, Jonah ran the wrong way to get the thing going, right? There were some unorthodox play calls, There were even some unexpected players. It wasn't pretty, but Nineveh was spared. They had won. Nineveh had won. God had won. Jonah had won. Or had he? Listen to Jonah's response in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Well, that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Verse 4, the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. Probably one of my favorite passages. God arranged for a worm, right? And the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant, so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, verse 9, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly. It died quickly. Listen to verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? When I read this and I think about Jonah's response, I'm kind of like, whoa. I mean, can you believe that someone would be so full of themselves that they would actually hate that God is showing mercy to somebody else? 
Can you believe that someone would feel that somehow they richly deserve God's grace, yet they would want it to be withheld from somebody else? Can you even begin to imagine finding yourself in a place where you felt offended or or infringed upon or put off or angry or bitter because another person repented of their sin and without having done a list of good things or having a long history of obedience and faithfulness or of being deserving in any way, shape, or form, can you imagine being indignant, even angry, even wishing to die because they fully experienced the love of God? I look back at my own life and I realize there are probably times that I have and I recognize that I can want to withhold the love of God from people. I think we all need to be reminded this morning that God loves people even when we don't want to. God loves people even when we don't want to. And then if we're to follow his example, we have to move past our prejudices and learn to love those whom God loves. True story. His name was Don. He was part of my youth group growing up in Urbana, Illinois. He was rough. Rough in appearance, rough in character. And in my little legalistic mind, he was rough in what I considered to be of most importance. He was rough in his church attendance. What I remember about Don, though, is even though he didn't show up at church very often, that when he did show up, it was like, whew, Don just walked through the doors of the youth room. You might have thought it was like Justin Tucker, you know, having kicked a a 66-yard field goal or, you know, a war hero returning home from a victorious battle. I mean, what's the big deal, I remember thinking as a teen. He doesn't show up here very often, so he must not really love Jesus. And for crying out loud, the kid smelled like cigarette smoke, you know? He didn't look like or talk like or act like, you know, one of the good church kids. Surely he must not be a good person, you know, like, like me. Why was anybody making a big deal out of this sinner standing in our midst? I look back on those days and I realize what a jerk I was. But maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you've chosen to pick and choose which people of which background or which social class or which, which race or which nationality or which addictions or which sins should be candidates for mercy instead of condemnation or salvation instead of judgment. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, he said, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So I feel like I'm in good company. Jonah was also a jerk, right? But Jonah was thoroughly convinced that God was wrong because he spared Nineveh. And I wonder, what about us? What about me? What about you? Has the abundant, unconditional, undeserving, life-changing love of Jesus being demonstrated to another person, has it ever left you upset and angry? I mean, if it did, you're not alone. There's me, there's Jonah, and then there's this guy we're going to read about next. Luke records for us in in his book, in the seventh chapter, an event that took place with Jesus, starting in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. 
when the Pharisee, one of those, you know, really good religious leader guys, had, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. You know, just like I saw Don in my youth group and just like Jonah saw the Ninevites and just like this religious leader among others of Jesus' day would have looked at this woman as being unworthy and undeserving of God's love, I wonder how often do we find ourselves doing the exact same thing? I was born in the 60s. I grew up, I call myself a child of the 70s. That would be the, you know, 1970s. Dates me a little bit. But I recall there was a conflict in the Middle East. Not like that there's never a conflict in the Middle East. There's always a conflict in the Middle East. But this particular conflict in the Middle East caused a very large influx of Iranians into my high school. Now, I lived in a college town. So having international students was not a big deal. I mean, I knew kids from France and from Germany and from China and from Turkey, from Portugal. But all of a sudden, instead of being one or two of these kids showing up in our school at a time, there's a whole influx of guys who looked different than me, who talked different than me. They even smelled different than I did. They had moved into my community and moved into my school. And I didn't know them. I didn't know their names, much less know their stories. And I didn't trust them. And I didn't like them. And to my embarrassment, and to my shame, I never once thought to befriend them, let alone share the love of Jesus with them. Looking back, I certainly hope that somebody did. Think about where we live. We have lots of internationals around us. They got different accents and different customs, and different clothing and different faiths. But I want you to know, God loves them. You and me, on, on the daily, we encounter people whose skin color is different, whose education level is different, whose social status, economic status is different. We, we walk past people whose house is newer or older, right? Cars the same. They're a different age of maybe the one that we drive or don't drive. And I want you to know, God loves them. And we encounter the addict, and we encounter the alcoholic, and we encounter the person with anger issues, and the one who's done some jail time, and we encounter the woman who got pregnant in high school, and, and, and the man who cheated on his wife, and we got to be reminded that God loves them. And sometimes we have conversations with people who were kicked out of their school, they were fired from their job, they were left by their spouse, they were rejected by their kids. And if we really knew them and knew their full story, it might make us uncomfortable. And we might not want to finish the conversation. We have to remember, God loves them. We can't be so quick to judge and quick to assume and quick to label and quick to discount or dismiss. See, just like Jonah, we need to be reminded that God loves people in spite of their past. And if we are to follow that example of God, we need to move past our perceived perfection in order to love those whom God loves. I've been on staff here at Fork for about five and a half years, and I'm so thankful for all the people that I get to meet as they come in these doors. 
And I was just starting to recount some of the folks that I had met, you know, over the past few years. And I am thankful that in the five years of being here at Fork, that through those doors have come addicts and strippers, cheaters and prostitutes, people with criminal records and people that have hit rock bottom. And they are loved by God too. After the religious leader calls out Jesus and calls out the woman for being a sinner, Luke goes on in this account. He says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied, and I'm guessing Simon's feeling a little smug right now, you know? But Jesus is calling him out. Jesus tells him this story. He says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. And he asked the question, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't even offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the, ter- from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Verse 47, I tell you, her sins, oh, and they are many, have been forgiven. She has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows, shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. When I read through that story, I recognize that not just this, uh, this religious leader, but many of the religious leaders in Jesus' day, that the unconditional love of the Savior angered them. I wonder, does the unconditional love that Jesus pours out to sinners, does it ever anger you? Let's go back to Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, you are slow to get angry. You are filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. My friends, it doesn't matter how you walked in those doors this morning or how you turned us on when you started watching it online today. It doesn't matter whether you are the most righteous saint or the most broken sinner. When we recognize who God is and the love he has for us, it can change us. Jonah reminds us of the nature and character of our loving God, that God is a merciful God. Our God is a compassionate God. Our God is slow to anger. Our God is filled with unfailing love. Our God is eager to turn back from destroying people. That is our God. And the sad thing is that Jonah knew God's character He knew who he was, and yet he still chose to hate the people that God wanted to show his love to. He still chose to hate his enemy. I I don't know what Jonah was thinking. I don't know what caused him to act that way. 
But when I think about us, I don't know what causes us to think that way too. What causes us to act the way that we do? It's kind of like, look at me, God. I showed up for service. I gave up my desires. I put in the work. I put in the time. I, I stood in line. I waited patiently for what I thought that I earned or I thought that I had deserved. And suddenly, there is good for nothing Nineveh standing right up here next to me. Right? It's not fair, God. Look how they lived. Look how many people they hurt. Look at all the sacrifices that they never, ever made to you, ever. And God, you're okay with that? Now, Jonah said, I'd rather die. But we need to be reminded that God loves people who simply don't deserve it. And that if we're to follow in his example, then we need to move past our misdirected passions in order to love those whom God loves. We read on in the text that Jonah set up camp. Remember the message was 40 days, 4-0. 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. I'm guessing this is night 39, right? He's ready, he's ready for destruction to come. So he sets up camp, builds him a little shelter. He's watching, he's waiting, right? Waiting for the destruction to happen and God shows him a little mercy in spite of himself says that God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. If you're a King James person, you probably remember that as he grew, caused a gourd, a gourd plant to grow there, which is kind of fun. I like picturing plants with a gourd hanging off of them. But anyway, this leafy plant grew there and it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head and it shaded him from the sun and this eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. You might even say Jonah loved this plant. In fact, Jonah loved the plant more than he loved the people that God loved. Jonah loved the plant more than he loved the people that God loved. So God sent the worm and it killed the plant. And then he sent a scorching sun and a hot wind to make Jonah miserable. Jonah's response, he was angry again. Jonah chapter four, verse 10, the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant. Well, you did nothing to put it there. It came up quickly, it died quickly. But listen to verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And close the book. Jonah lived happily ever after the end. Now, Jonah's not tied up like a pretty package, you know, beautiful paper wrapped in a bow, signed off nicely. We don't know what happened. We don't know what took place in Jonah's head. We don't know what happened in his heart. I kind of wish we did. I'd like to see a, like a win, you know, Jonah repented, Jonah did good. You know, Jonah took the good news to Nineveh and, you know, started teaching them how to follow the true God. But we don't know that. But the big question isn't what happened to Jonah. The big question isn't what happened to his head and his heart. The biggest question is, what does that do for us? What happens now to our head and what happens now to our heart? Are we choosing to love people even when we don't want to? Are we choosing to love people in spite of their past? And are we choosing to love people who simply don't deserve it? Or will we, like Jonah... Choose our pride and our perfection and our prejudice. Maybe something as foolish as a big plant 
to love more than the people that God loves. See, like Jonah, I wonder, are we having a plant that's grown over us, something that's in the way, something that we get occupied with, something that shadows over us, that we end up loving more than the people that God loves, knowing full well that God, instead of bringing us judgment, has chosen to bring his salvation down to us. Because if we are to follow the example of God, we need to let go of, and we need to move past whatever it is that we love more than the people that God loves. Let's pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God, your love wasn't limited. It wasn't for one people group. It wasn't for one skin color. It wasn't for one sin status. It was the whole world. You chose to love us, and the ultimate act of love was sending your son to us. So today we have responses, God, I know that we can make, and the first one is, if we're not following after you, if we've not experienced your love, help us to choose your love today, God, to recognize your great love for us, and let us say yes to that. But if we've already said yes to your love, God, then help us to to remove whatever it is that stands in the way of us loving the people that you love the way that you love them. Whatever barriers stand in the way of us loving people the way that you love them, whatever plant has grown up shading us and sheltering us and comforting us, send a worm, God, cut it down so that we can love the people that you love and that Jesus came to save. It's in his name we pray, amen.